0: Well, I'd like you to open your Bible over to Genesis chapter 18. As we continue our series, God, Your Family, and You, this is the 10th week that we have been on this. It seems like it's been racing by. And this is part four of Raising Godly Children in an Ungodly World. Now remember that title, Raising Godly Children in an Ungodly World. That should be the goal of every Christian parent. As a matter of fact, it's the goal for even those who aren't Christians or should be, but they don't know it yet. And so that is the way God intended it, as we have already seen in our series. Now, in very, very, very fast review, we have found that there are four foundational principles or practices that proper child training and raising up your children should have incorporated in it. The four practices. One is unconditional love. Now, we have spent two weeks, the last two weeks, on this issue of unconditional love, What is that? That would, of course, that drives everything else. Unconditional love, it drives everything else. We discipline because we love. We teach because we love. We live a godly example because we love. All of those things are connected with unconditional love. So what we're covering today, having to do with firm, consistent discipline, is not a contradiction to unconditional love. Let me say it again. What we are covering today concerning Firm, consistent discipline is not a contradiction to unconditional love. It is rather an exercise of unconditional love towards our children. So unconditional love, firm, consistent discipline, biblical instruction, and godly parental example. Those foundational truths, they're like legs on a table. And when they're done properly, there's balance in that. And it brings stability, just like with the legs on a table. It brings stability to the life of a child. Now, four of them are important. All four of them are important. And unfortunately, what happens sometimes is parents end up emphasizing one of these that they like the most, and they are short on the other ones, and then their kids don't turn out right, and they say, well, you know, we did it God's way. Well, let me say this. Well, number one, you didn't do it God's way. But number two, none of us are perfect in it. So keep that in mind, too, because we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But to give the idea, well, God's ways don't work. No, God's ways work. He wouldn't have given them to us if they didn't work. Why do God's ways work in all other areas but that one, right? So keep that in mind as we go through. Now, again, number one, unconditional love that drives everything else love what is love it is seeking the highest good for another person that's what love is if i love a person i'm seeking the highest good for that individual this is loving your children no matter what they do now that doesn't mean loving or approving of what they do but it's loving them in spite of what they do it's a constant And again, what is love? It is seeking the highest good for another person. It is not only an attitude, it's an action. So if I love someone, if I love my children, that doesn't mean if they do what's wrong, it's okay. No, it's not okay, but it doesn't change my love for them. My love is a constant. That's the way it should be for those of us who are parents. So keep that in mind. And if anybody happens to watch this or hear this or whatever in the future, if you hear this and you get all in a rage because he's ta- that guy's talking about child abuse. Well, number one, no, I'm not. We are against child abuse, but you know, check the word of God before you hurl accusations. Okay, not only that, but listen to the first two messages having to do with children and you will clearly see that we love children and have always loved children. Not only my wife and I love children, but we teach our church to love children. And that's very very important, very important. So firm consistent discipline. Discipline is not what you do to a child, it is what you do for a child. It's not what you do to a child, it's what you do for a child. Now, the Lord is speaking here in Genesis 18 about Abraham And Abraham had a handle on this. Now, by the way, he was a little bit of a character. He wasn't perfect. You know, he's in the Bible and he was a great man of God, a great man of God, warts and all, okay? Had some issues. And by the way, some of those things that he did wrong, he passed them down to his son. His son did the exact same things as he did that were wrong. You know, Isaac, where'd you learn to deceive people? Learned it from dad. He taught me how to lie basically is what it comes down to. And then of course, Jacob comes along. Well, enough said there about how he is. But in Genesis eighteen nineteen, it says, the Lord says, for I know him, Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the ways of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Abraham understood. He took his parental responsibility seriously, understanding that I have a responsibility. And you notice, folks, it wasn't just his example, although that's a big part of that. It wasn't just his example. You notice he will command his children and his household after him. So it wasn't that he said, hey, guys, if you feel good about it, follow me. No, he commanded them to do what is right. And of course, there are consequences if that is not followed. Now, what is discipline, okay, or biblical discipline, firm, consistent discipline? What is it? Okay, it has to do with training our children to obey and respect authority. All right? It has to do with training our children to obey and respect authority. Authority. I was talking to someone before the service today and they were asking me, you know, what I'm going to be covering today. And I I told him and he said, oh, are you covering that because of the passage where it talks about in the last days, children are going to be disobedient to their parents. And I thought, well, you know what? I didn't think of that connection, but I'll incorporate that in the weeks to come because that's a great connection. And yeah, we ought to be learning that because that is one of the marks, by the way, of the last days. In light of that, is it any wonder that the world goes into a tizzy when you talk about disciplining your children, when you talk about spanking your children? They go crazy. The world goes berserk over that. Well, Why is that? Well, because we're in the day that is saying, you know, every way is okay, but the Bible way as far as raising up your kids. No, discipline has to do with training our children to obey and respect authority. Out of all the practices and principles that we are looking at, these four, this one is the most controversial and the most rejected of all. Yet it is greatly needed, but seldom implemented properly. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and I know we've touched on this verse already several times in our series, but we will continue to do it, actually twice today, because it is such a key passage having to do with the raising up of our children. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, it says this, and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, anger, but instead bring them up, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now the word nurture is the word discipline. It's what it means. It's also translated as chastening in the scriptures. They're all related by the way, they're all connected. Bring them up in the nurture, the discipline, the training, okay? And the admonition of the Lord. The word admonition means to put into the mind, to put into the mind, all right? So here's the point. as, As a matter of fact, I've got three points here that I want to cover before we move on as we go through this. The first one is here, this folks. Now listen carefully, especially those of you who still have children at home, especially if they're little. And when I say little, I'm talking about elementary age or under. Listen carefully. Children must be taught discipline and respect for authority before we will be able to mold them and teach them what is right. They have to learn discipline and respect for authority before we will be able to mold them and teach them what is right. They must be submitted and obedient to the authorities God has placed in their lives. Now, this must be accomplished early in the life of a child before they become stubborn in their rebellion, okay? You need to get this into your children. You need to be training them in this early before that stubbornness and rebellion gets a grip, a stronger grip on them because the longer you wait, the more difficult it is going to become. So that is a very important point. Another one is this, there is no learning without control, all right? There is no learning without control. I know this is redundant, but I'm gonna say it again. There is no learning without control. You talk to anyone who is a teacher in the public school system today or in any classroom today, any teacher, And the truth of it is this, a lot of what goes on in the public schools today is crowd control. This is why the learning in many cases is so low, because teachers are running interference instead of being able to teach. Now those, listen, some of those people are great people, great people, okay? And some of them are believers, are Christians. But guess what? Their hands are tied. They can't do what they need to do to get control. And if there's no control, there's not going to be learning. So if you want your child to learn the ways of God, you need to have them under control and in submission to your authority. Or else it's not going to happen. If they won't listen to you, how can you teach them? When there is control, there will be learning. And this is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple disciple discipline chastening nurture all related it's all one package okay here's another point remember the goal of child training that they would trust christ as their savior and then grow up as believers to love and serve christ with their life that is the goal that is the script that's the mission statement of parenting according to god all right that they would not only trust Jesus Christ as their personal savior, but then grow up to love and serve the Lord with their life. That is what we should be attempting by the grace of God to accomplish as parents, all right? It is a training that takes a combination of correction and instruction into the life of a child. And this is what's called shepherding your children. Now, let me say this, and I'm not gonna mention what they are, But there are three books that I would highly recommend. And if you'd like to know what they are, see me afterwards and and I'll tell you what those books are when we're done. Very, very good books that have a lot of good things in them. Now, I'm not going to agree with everything that they say, but I'll agree with a lot of what they say because they're very important and they cover different aspects of parenting. Well, I'll I'll tell you what, one of them I am going to mention to you. It's not going to be on an Amazon bestseller list, let me tell you that. It's called What the Bible Says About Child Training. Well, there's an interesting thought. What the Bible says about child training. That is worth getting, okay? Now, let's continue. Discipline is related to the word discipleship. And that's a Bible word, right? That is what we are trying to raise our children to be, disciples. Of Christ. It is a training that takes a combination of correction and instruction. Uh, listen, folks, when you discipline your child, you're not, you're not disciplining them for revenge because they made you mad. You're disciplining them because that's what they need. You love them enough to see the need and say, you know what, this has to be corrected, this has to be dealt with. It isn't, you know what, that's it. I have blown my lid. Man alive, are you in for it? If that's your mentality, you've got problems. Proper discipline is controlled. Now again, the word disciple, it's the Greek word mathetase. And the word disciple literally means a learner or a pupil. Now that is a foundational level definition of the word disciple. He's a learner or a pupil. Now remember what I've already said? If you don't have control, they won't learn. If they won't learn, they'll never be a disciple. How many of you are understanding this so far? You're getting it so far? Okay. I want to be sure you're getting this because this is one precept built upon another, built upon another. Very important to see the connection and the relationship between these things. Now, let's go into it with that in mind. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, a disciple is a pupil. You are to be discipling your children for Christ, teaching them and nurturing them with the scriptures and with the ways of God. And yet you are to be disciplining them because if you don't get them under control, they're not gonna listen to what you have to say and therefore they're not gonna be a learner and they're not gonna be a disciple. Biblical truths for us to understand about discipline. Now let's get back to the issue of discipline. You might say, pastor, what do you mean by discipline? You're not talking about spanking, are you? Well, in a big way, yes, I am. Because that's what the Bible says. Well, uh, not well. It's what the Bible says. Okay? Again, not child abuse, but proper biblical discipline. Biblical truths for us to understand about discipline. And again, it isn't just spanking, but that is part of it. Here's the first one. It is your God-given right as a parent to discipline your children, right? So, well, the government says, the government, listen, the government, if they tell you, no, you don't have a right, they are wrong according to God. God did not give the children to the government. God gave the children to the parent for the parent to be responsible. It's a stewardship. Those children belong to God. He's given them to you to manage and to train up, but they are his, he owns them. But he's given them to you. He hasn't given them to the government. Listen, the government does, the government just about anything they stick their nose in, they do a terrible job of it. I hate to say that, but it's true. Hopefully things can change. But it is your God-given right as a parent. God has entrusted your children to your care. Look with me to Colossians chapter three and verse 20. It says this, children obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, it is well-pleasing to the Lord. God has given the children to you to raise up, to train up for him. And God says in his word that children are to obey their parents. So listen carefully. Whose responsibility is it for the children to obey the parents? It's the parents. You might say, well, it's God's. God's already told us what to do. And he says, I've entrusted them to you. Now, he'll provide the grace and the wisdom and the direction and the knowledge, but it's up to us to do it. So it is your God-given right. Not only that, but secondly, it is a God-given commandment. Commandment. You are God's representative in a child's life. You represent him. God is not here in person, but if you're a believer, God is in you, and God wants you to raise your children Properly See, for the parent to not discipline properly and not fulfill God's command is for the parent to be disobedient to God. Do we get that? Do we get that? If I do not discipline for rebellion, I am disobeying God. Disobeying. Some parents become experts at making excuses. As a matter of fact, you'd think they were writing a book. 50 ways to make excuses for not obeying the scriptures. No, friend, listen, we need to obey God. If I do not discipline for rebellion, I'm disobeying God. I am just as guilty as the child is. Now, when it comes time to discipline your children, have that mindset. I am doing this. God has told me to do that. You know what that'll do? That'll help you get over the emotional speed bump that you're facing when it comes time to discipline your child. Oh, I don't, I, uh, uh, one more time, one more time it becomes a mantra. One more time, one more time, one more time. Before you know it, you've got a criminal on your hands. Well, that's exaggerating. No, it's not exaggerating. It's not exaggerating. Ephesians 6:4. Again, you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, anger. Children who are not properly trained are angry children. Did you know that? Well, I know that person. They're a very angry person, and, and they, were, uh, they were spanked growing up, and that's why they're angry. No, spanking did not make them angry. Bad parenting made them angry. Child abuse might have made them angry. Hypocrisy made them angry. Or they weren't properly disciplined, and they, the rebellion didn't get out of them, and because they were so frustrated, they grew up to be an angry person. Listen, I'm telling you the truth today. I'm telling you the truth. This is the way it is. This is the world in which we live. We are held accountable before God to train the children and to put God's truth into their minds. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, the greatest book in the Bible having to do with child training. Don't you think it's, it's interesting that the book of tro- Proverbs, the principles in Proverbs, transcends all dispensations and all time? These are timeless truths right from God Himself. And what is the um, title, you might say, of the book of of Proverbs? What is it having to do with? It's the book of what? Wisdom. See, everybody knows it. If it's the book of wisdom, then I think it's a good idea for us to listen to what God says and not reject it because it's difficult, or we don't know what we're doing, or exactly how to do something. That's a big mistake. Proverbs 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. The rod and reproof, the rod refers to a stick, is what it refers to here. But a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. Look at chapter 13. Verse 24, it says, he that spareth his rod, hateth his son. God's the one who says that. But he that loveth him, chasteneth him, disciplines him, be times, early, early. Could be early in life or could be early in the offense. Okay, now when we talk about disciplining, chastening, spanking, whatever you want to call it, however you want to phrase it, corporal punishment, whatever, we are never ever, 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 ever talking about child abuse. Never. If you go to spank your child and you are out of control, you need to stop. Don't even start. Okay? Because you're going to end up doing something wrong and that's scary. Don't do it. Don't do it. Cool off. Use your head. Do it as God would have you to do it. All right, third, children need corrective discipline because they are naturally, oh boy, people, I don't think any of you hopefully are this way, but people hear this next word and they go go ballistic. (laughs) I'll say it. Children need corrective discipline because they are naturally sinful. Sinful. Oh, not my little one. Yes, your little one. Grandparents, yes, your grandkids. We've got seven Every one of them's a sinner. Every one of them is a sinner. Now, they're wonderful children, but they're still sinners. And we've seen them do things in front of us. And it's like, you know, you shouldn't do that. And the guilt comes over the face. They know, but they still did it. Why did they do it? Well, because they're sinners. That's why. Now, listen, this statement flies directly into the face of modern humanistic thought, but nevertheless, it is the word of God. You see, folks, Isaiah 55 in verses 8 and 9 says, the Lord says this, he says, "...my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." So God's mind is superior to us. He's not only superior, he has infinite wisdom, infinite knowledge, and we don't, and yet here we are, we'll come to these truths and scriptures and we'll, we'll balk at them and they'll say, well, that's archaic, well, that's barbaric, that's abusive, that's wrong. Is society getting better or worse? It's getting worse, why? Because we have forsaken the ways of God. Listen, folks. When I was raised as a child, now, now my parents are wonderful people, wonderful people. When I was raised as a child, let me tell you something. I was scared to death to disobey authority. I was scared. I wouldn't talk back to somebody older than me. That's the electric chair. That's the way I saw it. I mean, you just don't do that. But kids nowadays are in your face. Do you know why they're in the face? Because they haven't been taught respect for authority and that comes through proper training, proper discipline. I'm amazed how kids are today. I'm just amazed. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't just a matter of, I'll tell you, you, you disobey or you have an issue with a teacher at school or something like that. Whoa boy, if that happened, news got back that day to home. And it was like, you know what? Between now and school and when I get home, it's death row. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was bad news. I knew there was trouble down the road. Now, I, my dad, so I don't remember this, but my dad said I didn't get a lot of spanks because I learned from what happened to my brothers, both of them being older than me. That may be very true. I don't remember it. You know, suppressed memory, I guess, or something. But anyways, um, just kidding. You just didn't do that. Look at Psalm 51 with me. Psalm 51. I know some of you who were who are godly responsible people. You talk about the way you were raised, and some of you have shared with me, all your dad needed to do was look at you a certain way. And that was it. That was all that was needed. Man, you straighten up like a board. Where did that go? Where did that go? See, folks, the time to train up the next generation is in the high chair, not the electric chair. You do it now while they're little so you don't have to deal with them in prison when they get older. Psalm 51, verse five, David says, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now he's not saying the act was sinful. What he's saying is that I got the sin nature. A, A sinner was conceived when I was conceived and he knew it. And of course, Psalm 51 is very clear. It's the psalm of great confession. In repentance, change of mind before God. We know that. See, according to Psalm 51.5, we are conceived sinners. The sin nature in the child is what produces rebellion. It's the sin nature that produces rebellion. Listen, there's a difference between rebellion and childishness. Children are children. You need to give them space on that. Rebellion is another issue. Rebellion is defiance and and disobedience towards authority. Childishness is they just make mistakes. Now, you have to be honest with God about this because some people see the rebellion of their children as a mistake. No, they're the ones making the mistake. The child knows exactly what they're doing. See, the sin nature in a child is what produces rebellion. It is selfish. It is self-centered and it wants its own way. And by the way, those of us who are adults still have a sin nature, and that sin nature is still the same. Did not change when you got saved. The bondage of it was broken, but the sin nature is still there. That's why we still sin, even today as adults. But you have to deal with that in your children because remember, we are trying to teach them respect for the authorities that God has put in their life. And by the way... That includes God. We'll get to that in the future here. That includes God, but that includes you. You. So let me give you a couple applications of this truth. Temper tantrums are not cute. They're sinful. Okay? Foot stomping is not cute. Hitting parents is not cute. It's rebellion. You better take care of it. Beating up other children is not cute. A refusal to do what you say is not cute. They are sinful manifestations of the sin nature in your child. And that sin nature is just as perverse and wicked as anything. The Bible says, well, look, you're in Psalms. Look at Psalm 58 in verse 3. See, the Bible teaches us that we go astray from the womb. Now, if you go astray from the womb, you notice it doesn't say from birth. It says from the womb, why? Because in sin did my mother conceive me. The, the sin nature is in the child before they're ever born. Now they may be ignorant of it. They may not know. I'm just saying it's present. That's all I'm saying is it's present there. Psalm 58, three, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born. Speaking lies, speaking lies. The word estranged means turned aside in other words, every person is a natural. Boy, I'll tell you what, you know, this is not, obviously, I'm not stroking people today in a good way, okay? Humanity, every person is a natural born liar, according to the text here. I said, oh no, not my children. Years ago, we had a, a couple coming and uh, they had two, two sons. I'm not sure if they had a daughter or not, but, anyways, two sons were coming with them and. And one of the sons, he was a young teenager. And I can't remember the circumstances. It might have been something to where he was involved in a youth group or something. And and, uh, and Pastor Trout mentioned to me about that he lied. He was lying about something. And so he mentioned it to his mom. Pastor Trout mentioned it to this mom. And she said, my son would never lie. And it's like... (laughs) Listen, if the stakes are high enough and they're not right with God, yes, they will. Yes, they will. Those of us who are adults, we get tempted to lie. Some do, right? By the way, even some secularists are seeing what I'm talking about here. Do you believe that? Now, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, 3,000 years old as I'm speaking today. Okay, around 3,000 years old. And just secular, the secular world is just coming around to what God said three thousand years ago. Listen to this quote: Psychologists have finally learned that children begin. Now, this is a psychology periodical. This is not a focus on the family document. Okay. Quote: Psychologists have finally learned that children begin to lie in infancy, and that by two years old, they are sophisticated liars. A report in the London Telegraph, July 1st, 20, or 2007, was entitled, quote, Babies Not As Innocent As They Pretend, unquote. It said, quote, Behavioral experts have found that infants begin to lie from as young as six months. Simple fibs help to train them for more complex deceptions later in life. Until now, psychologists had thought that developing brains were not capable of the difficult art of lying until four years old. Following studies of more than 50 children and interviews with parents, Dr. Uh, Vasudevi Reddy of the University of Portsmouth psychology department says she has identified seven categories of deception used between six months and three years old. Infants quickly learn that using tactics such as fake crying and pretend laughing could win them attention. I don't know that I've ever seen that one, but I'd love to see it. <laughs> By eight months, more difficult deceptions became apparent, such as concealing forbidden activities or, dis- or trying to distract parents' attention, unquote. Wow, those are sharp kids. And I tell you what, get them turned around. Let's, let's, let's get them saved and dedicated to Christ and use their mental skill for Christ, right? It's there, folks. Let's move on. Number four, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, this is one you got to understand this. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It is the parent's job before God to get it out and train them to be wise. Now, what is the opposite of foolishness? It's wisdom. Don't we want our children to be wise? But foolishness is bound out. Now, will you get, get it all out? You'll never get it all out because we're sinners. But you can get a lot of it out. And remember, you're replacing it with submission to the authorities God has put in their life. And that includes God, and that includes you, and that includes their teachers, and that includes their employer, and that includes other adults, and that includes people older than them. Psalm 14.1 says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Foolishness is bound in the heart. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 53, one, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. See, foolishness, folks, is self-sufficiency. It's an arrogancy. It's someone making themselves, in a sense, to be God. And so they're independent. So they don't need to submit to authority because they know how to direct their lives. That's a foolishness. And that's bound in the heart. And the parents have a responsibility. And by the way, foolishness is an independence, as I mentioned, against authority. And if you don't get that out of your children, they're not gonna submit to authority. Now let's kind of bring this back and you'll see how this works. If they won't submit to your authority, then they're not gonna submit to the authority at school. They're not gonna submit to the authority at work. They're not gonna submit to the authority in government and they're not going to submit to the authority of God. And listen, if they won't listen to God, they'll never be saved. Think about that. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. How did he get to that point? You know, every person is born with the knowledge of God. Did you know that? I'm sure all of you know that. This scientist who just died, how sad, sad, sad that is. I would hope that he'd heard the gospel sometime in his life, and I would hope that before he went into eternity, he put his faith in Christ, the one he said did not exist as God, didn't believe there's God. I'd say, oh, such a wise person. No, not according to the Bible. That's not wisdom, that's foolishness. The evidence is all around us that God exists. Psalm 17, 21, He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow and the father of a fool has no joy. That's true. Talk to parents of fools. They're sad people. Proverbs 19.3, the foolishness of man perverts his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Psalm 22.15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Do you see that? What drives it from the heart of a child. What, what is bound in the heart? Foolishness is. And what will drive it from them? The rod of correction. Notice what gets it out of the child. Is it bribery? No. A time out? That's the popular one today. No. That just gives them time to go sit in the corner and stew against you. And think about how frustrated, and how bitter they are towards you because you won't let them have their way. Making excuses for your child, is that what gets it out of them? Oh, this will pass. I'll just keep making excuses, making excuses, making excuses. It'll pass. No, it won't. It won't pass. It's going to get such a grip on them, friends. Now listen, am I saying that kids who were not raised right will never come around? No, I'm not saying that. But there's a lot of them that don't. The majority of them don't come around the way they should. Making excuses is not what gets the foolishness out of a child. It is the rod of correction. By the way, if you tell your children enough false reasons why they do what they do, it's just a matter of time before they're going to start telling you those things back when they do wrong things. Well, you bit little Susie on the leg because you're tired, right? So, what the next time he bites little Susie on the leg and you get upset? What are you doing? Why'd you bite little Susie on the leg? I'm tired. Where'd you get that? Well, don't ask. You know, I got it from you. Don't talk to me like that, right? Look at me, look at me. And then they look at you, don't look at me like that. Folks, listen, tiredness, let me, let me address that. Tiredness will weaken their self-control, but when rebellion is manifested, it's still rebellion, okay? You need to deal with it. And if your child loses you know, control because they're, they're tired, well, then let them sleep make sure they get those naps. Now, let me just close with this. What does rebellion mean? I've been talking about rebellion. What does it mean? Well, let me give you some secular definitions. They're all excellent, by the way. Three different dictionaries. Webster says this, opposition to one in authority or dominance. That's rebellion. Opposition to one in authority or dominance. Hey, that includes you. The American Heritage Dictionary, an act or a show of defiance towards an authority or established convention, okay? And then let me say this, an established convention would be the rules of which one lives under. The rules of which one lives under. That's an established convention. The Cambridge Dictionary, what does rebellion mean? It means to fight against the government or to refuse to obey rules, so if your child refuses to do what you say, it's rebellion. No, I think it's this. No, 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 no. No, that's rebellion. It's rebellion. And the longer you blow it off, the more trouble you're going to have. It doesn't go away, by the way. Remember that there is active rebellion and there is passive rebellion. Both are rebellion. We'll talk more about it next week. But active rebellion very clearly is you tell them what to do and they say no, no. Okay, or you tell them, what not to do, and they go and do it anyway in your face. That's active rebellion. Passive rebellion is they don't do what you tell them to do. They don't say anything. They just don't do it. Or they do it very slowly. Have you ever seen children do that? Or they ignore you and pretend that they don't hear. It's another great trick of youth. By the way, adults do the same thing. We'll talk more about that next week. We'll pick up here. But let me, let me say this today, and please listen carefully. I want you to turn in your Bible over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Now, you know what happens when I, I cover this kind of material? Here's what happens. People who grew up in abusive homes, they come and they say, you know, you're talking about, I can't accept that. Dear friend, let me, under, let me get you to understand this. Again, I've said it three or four times in this message. I'll say it one more time. We are not talking about child abuse. We are not talking about senseless beating because the parent is mad. Those kids need to be protected from those people. We are talking about following the pattern God has given us and the reasons for it in scripture and only doing it to the point that is necessary to bring about a change of mind change of repentance, uh, change in uh, repentance in the child's mind. See, let me say this. We want our kids to trust Christ as Savior and then grow up to love and serve him, but you have to trust Christ as your Savior f- first. If you decide, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live an obedient life to God, and you think that's going to get you to heaven, it's not going to get you to heaven. You don't go to heaven by living an obedient life. The only way you can have your sins forgiven is you come through Jesus Christ. You trust in him as your savior. In Romans 3.23, it says this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. And then in verse 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What in the world does that verse mean? Well, look up here. This is you and me. My wallet is our sin. We are all sinners according to verse 23. We fall short of the glory of God okay to get to heaven you have to be without sin none of us are and god says our sin has to be paid for it must be punished we have violated the word of god there's a penalty that has to be paid and it says the wages of sin is death we would have to die and be separated from god for all eternity but god doesn't want that for any of us good works won't take care of it death is the only payment so god says because i love you so much i want you to live with me forever in heaven I will take on flesh myself. And that's exactly what he did. This hand representing Jesus Christ. And when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for all of our sin, leaving us nothing to pay for. It's the love of God and the grace of God that he would do that for us. Jesus paid for it all. He was buried. He came back from the dead. See the redemption, the word redeem means to buy back. Jesus shed his blood and that was the payment that needed to be made to buy us back to God. We're in bondage to sin, but Jesus came and said, I love you so much. I'm going to purchase you and I will pay for your sins. And that's exactly what he did. And he says in his word that if we will trust in Christ, he will save us and we are declared righteous in his sight. You might say, what, what price do I have to pay? None. You Notice verse 24 being justified. How? Freely by his grace and by the way grace and freely always go together they always go together so you don't go to heaven by your good works you go to heaven through the payment jesus made for you and you trust in him as your savior and he declares you as righteous and it's all based on the unmerited kindness of god that's grace you can be saved today you can have eternal life you can have all your sins forgiven if you will trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. And then in verse 28, it says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So it's not Jesus and good works, it's Jesus only. That's the only way you're saved. Trust him if you've never done that.